wrestling fans, are you ready? This is Tuesday. You people bought a ticket to see me, so shut up. Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood. First of all, Dusty Rose, I think what you are is a big, ugly, low-class redneck goose. Follow the show at Wrestling TWT on Twitter and Instagram. But remember, my fireflies, as always, I'll light the way, and all you have to do is let me in. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. The bottom line is, in all my magnificence, you're gonna be mine all night. Here's Jonathan Hood. Welcome in to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Hood. Don't forget our YouTube page as well, youtube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Hit that subscribe button, and that way you can hear some of our long-form interviews. On this edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, I will tell you my three likes and dislikes for All Elite Wrestling. I did the same for the WWE. Go back to the archives of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. If you have subscribed to this podcast, you might have missed it or you might have heard it. My thoughts about the WWE. So I'm going to give you my three likes and dislikes when it comes to AEW. Also, some thoughts from Eric Bischoff about the hierarchy in the WWE. I think you'll find that interesting also wrestlemania has a new venue for 2021 which we'll talk about also what is up with the wwe network oh uh, are we going to see the end of the wwe network as we know it we'll talk about that and a lot more as we move forward here on tuesday wrestling tuesday well as i did for the wwe and i gave my three likes and dislikes about the company well i'm going to do the same when it comes to AEW. Yes, All Elite Wrestling, run by Tony Khan. All Elite Wrestling. There's three things I really like about All Elite Wrestling. Number one, I really enjoyed the veterans on the roster for AEW. It's a brand new company, but you just can't go 100% young. You have to have some veterans in there that people care about. Veterans that we have seen in the ring and ring wars before. One of them is Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes is the biggest baby face in AEW. That's no surprise to me because when you think about Cody Rhodes, you think about his brother Dustin and their father, Dusty. Dusty was the number one baby face for the National Wrestling Alliance. He was the number one baby face when he was in Florida. Number one baby face in a lot of different territories that he went to. So no surprise that Cody Rhodes has gotten himself over in a big way. Did you see last week's AEW show where there he is getting 10 lashes in front of the entire television audience on TNT around the country and around the world and in Huntsville, Alabama in that arena? That was just amazing television to watch. But Cody Rhodes is a veteran. Uh, Kenny Omega, a, a big time veteran coming from New Japan with a lot of acclaim from fans and media. Kenny Omega, John Moxley. Moxley is splitting time between AEW and New Japan. And we saw him as Dean Ambrose in the WWE. And now when you hear John Moxley talk to me on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, which is also in the archives and other interviews that he's done, he just feels like he's more of himself, the, the kind of wrestler that he wants to be. And he's being able to showcase a lot of things that he wanted to be in the WWE now in All Elite Wrestling. Others like the Young Bucks... Chris Jericho is one of the biggest heels in the company. I think he might have been usurped by um, MJF, by the way. Maxwell J. Friedman is, um, is who he is. He wants to make sure that you know that he is a heel. Not a cool heel, but just a heel. He reminds me of wrestlers I saw growing up as a kid where they want you to believe no matter what where everyone looks at wrestling with a wink and a nod, like, okay, 
MJF's like, I don't care if you're winking and nodding at me. I'm letting you know that I don't like you. And he does that on social media. He does that on local television uh, spots that he does. He'll go to some TV station and you think, you know, away from the ring, away from the company, that he'd be a little bit different. No, there is no let up when it comes to MJF. So you like him uh, as a young guy, but he's been wrestling for a while. So I put him in the veteran um, pile as well. Wrestlers like Pac, who's wrestled all over the world, Pac, um, Phoenix, and Pentagon. I like the veterans on this roster. There's been a number of wrestlers that's been going at it for a long time. And I think they do a really good job of being able to say, hey, you know what? We're on the top of the card. We have seen a lot of different things. And the other part of that is, is that they've got terrific television experience, not just being on TV for interviews, but wrestling on television, wrestling on television style. We'll get into that a little bit later on. But I like the veterans on this AEW roster because you got to start someplace, right? It cannot be 100% kids. It's got to be veterans leading the way. And I think they're doing that for the most part. The other thing I really like about AEW is that it's got a TNT platform. They are a part of the Turner broadcast. I never thought, I never thought that there would be professional wrestling again on the Turner broadcast. But it is. It's on TNT. It also is on uh, a part of uh, BR Live. It's all part of that. And it's, it's a great platform for this new company to be on. And the presentation feels big because it is big. Anytime that you're in this many households for a new company, for All Elite Wrestling, when you and you have your own night of the week on Wednesday nights, and they're going to expand. There's going to be another hour wrestling under this TNT banner. That is huge for this company. It really is in a big way. So when you are starting off, just keep in mind you have a head start on AAA in Mexico. You have a head start on MLW, on the National Wrestling Alliance, on New Japan Pro Wrestling, on Ring of Honor, uh, on NXT UK, Impact Wrestling. None of those companies have that kind of reach in the United States or North America. Just think about that. All those companies that I mention are companies that I watch or that I'm interested in. And you would think that, hey, MLW, who's on BN Sports, it has a nice reach, but it's not on Wednesday nights and it's not on for two hours. And they're not drawing the same crowds that AEW is. Impact Wrestling, TNA has been around for a long time. They're, gr- they're drawing crowds, but... Access TV is not TNT. Ring of Honor, fledgling, trying to figure out who they are on all these syndicated brands over the Sinclair Broadcasting Network. It's still not working. You think about the National Wrestling Alliance that's on YouTube. Uh, The NWA is a very, very good product. It doesn't have TV yet. And I think eventually that's going to have to happen for them. But the point is, is that AEW has a huge platform. Anytime that you're watching the NBA... And you see on the bottom of the screen, hey, don't forget to watch AEW Dynamite. What's going to happen when Cody Rose gets 10 lashes? It's on an NBA broadcast. You're having Marv Albert do the reads about Chris Jericho. That is huge for professional wrestling. doesn't matter if you like AEW or not. The point is, is that the WWE gets a lot of attention, and rightfully so, because they've earned it. Well, same thing with AEW and TNT. Because of that marriage, now AEW is mentioned outside of the Wednesday night broadcast. That's really strong for them. And, of course, the fan support. The grassroots fan support for AEW is huge. Because you could tell that based on crowd size, based on the social media interaction, there are a lot of fans that were WWE fans or fans of other companies that have come over and said, you know what, I'm settling right here because of what I see online from Kenny Omega and the Elite and... Hangman Adam Page and Cody Rhodes and what they do online, you know what? I'm going to be supporting them when they come to my hometown, or I'm going to watch them on TNT. There's a reason why that you're seeing AW Dynamite defeat NXT more times than not. About 90% of the head-to-head has gone to AEW for a reason, and that's because there are so many fans out there that don't like what they see from the WWE. They feel like it's, it's repetitive, and at least this is different. Whether it's good or bad, it's different, and people are watching. And so that grassroots effort, that fan support, that same fan support is not there yet for 
the NWA, not there yet for MLW, not there yet for ROH or some of these other companies in abundance. They have their own fan base. They have their own support system. But look at the crowds that are being drawn here by AEW because of the veterans. It goes back to my number one point. These crowds are drawn because of veterans like Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks and Omega and Moxley and Jericho and Phoenix and Pentagon and so many others that are on this roster. Dustin Rhodes, you can throw him in there as well because those are names that you know. And those are the positives for the AEW roster. The veterans are leading the way, trying to help the young guys come aboard and for them to be established a part of this uh, new league, as they say, uh, All Elite Wrestling. So, you cannot deny the numbers that you're seeing because the ratings are pretty strong. It's a younger crowd that's watching this, and you can count whatever empty seats you have uh, at the AEW events. It doesn't matter. The bottom line is, for me, is that they are developing talent, and they are trying to be, a, at least as they say, and this is what they said at the beginning, they just want to be different than everybody else and just carve their own niche. Just like these other brands that are out there. They're just trying to carve their own niche in the marketplace. And I can't hate, hate them for that. I mean, that's exactly what you need to do. There are also three dislikes that I have for AEW. So the number one thing that I wonder about with AEW is, are you trying to win Wednesday nights or are you trying to develop young stars? Now, I mentioned the positive of having veterans, but you have to be able to look at it from this standpoint. If winning is the number one thing, then you'll just throw anything against the wall and have this veteran against this young guy and just throw a bunch of young guys out there that the majority of the audience does not know. Because when I look at certain young guys on this roster... I'll give you an example. I'll give you like an Alex Reynolds. When I tell you about Evil Uno, Jack Evans, uh, Isaiah Cassidy, when I tell you about John Silver, when I tell you about Kip Sabian, super bad Kip Sabian, when I tell you about Marco Stunt or some of these other young guys like an Orange Cassidy, Peter Avalon, when I look at QT Marshall, so just some of these names. Some of these names that we have seen on AEW are just thrown into the ring like, okay, well, you know, this is going to be a good match because we know Trent is going to take on this particular veteran. And you're like, okay, Peter Avalon's out there with a microphone. Well, what does Peter Avalon bring to the table? Well, who is he? That's the thing. If these wrestlers are going to be established stars, you have to explain who they are. If, if, if they're preliminary talent... Yeah, like a Peter Avalon, who's 0-7 so far in his career at AEW, then that's fine. We don't need to know who they are. But if these wrestlers are going to be in the ring and we're going to see them on a regular basis, we need to know who they are. What's the backstory? You still have time to be able to have vignettes. Vignettes and interviews still matter in wrestling in 2020. It still matters. It mattered in the 60s. It mattered in the 70s and moving forward throughout time in professional wrestling. A mic in the face of a wrestler and that wrestler being able to explain their character, who they are, what they will do, what they will do to their opponent is still in vogue in 2020. It still has to be something that AEW has to look for. You just can't go a million miles an hour and go, okay, well, here's super bad Kip Sabian. Well, who is he? And, and this is not a question when I say who is he. It's not for the AEW fan. It's for the WWE fan. It's for the MLW fan. It's for fans that, are, that love professional wrestling that want to know more about the talent. You have to be able to have a hook by saying, this is who this person is, uh, and this is why this person is important. Inexperience is the number one dislike I have for this company, because you have to be able to understand that because you have Marco Stunt on television, you have to, under have to understand, like, everybody doesn't know who Marco Stunt is, and a lot of independent 
uh, arenas around this country in the United States. People know who Marco Stunt is because there he is. I saw him first at MLW. I saw him tw- twice at Cicero Stadium in Chicago. I know who he is. And I've seen him online. But he's on TNT. And if you can't explain why he's even in wrestling when he's not even five foot tall, then what's the point? Oh, there's Marco Stunt. Well, what does he do? Well, he's Mr. Fun Size. Okay, so what does that mean? Sidebar. One of the things that the WWE does very well, and this is all produced by Vince McMahon and his producers uh, that he, that's been working with him for a long time, is to continue to explain to the audience who a wrestler is. If he's got two or three nicknames, if he has a backstory, if he's in an angle, it, to you and I, it's like, oh God, here's Michael Cole explaining to us that Randy Orton is the Viper and that he is a million times heavyweight champion and he is a, was a legend killer and he took on this guy and that guy. And we hear this every week, blah, blah, blah. Well, you and I know that. But what if a, a fan or just someone is flipping around and they see Randy Orton on TV? Well, as soon as they see him saunter down the ramp, now Cole's going through the entire backstory. And now the fan's like, oh, okay. The backstory and the explanation has to happen every week, especially when you're new. So there's a lot of inexperience in this, in this company. And I don't blame the talent. I blame the company. Because when you have a number of wrestlers on AEW that have not wrestled a TV style, that is a problem. And there is a distinct difference between just wrestling a house show or wrestling a house show with no cameras. And you're wrestling in front of 500 people or 1,000 people you know, for the shady envelope at the end of the night. It's more than that. There is a television style that you must wrestle that's got to be different than a pay-per-view style or different than a house show style. And we're seeing a lot of house show style wrestling from AEW from young talent. And so there's the thing. There, it's good athletic talent, there's no doubt. But how many of them can really tell a story? How many of them are you really emotionally invested in if they win or if they lose or somewhere in between? That's the thing. That's where the inexperience is. I really believe that at some point, Tony Khan is going to have to open up a gym or open up a facility in Jacksonville where AEW is housed. And they're going to have to be able to sit a number of these talents down, not at TV on Wednesday, Wednesdays. That doesn't work. They need to be able to do what NXT does and to sit them down for them to understand an AEW style. And the AEW style can still be a million flips and a lot of different things. But here's the thing. You have to be able to understand a TV style. And so we're not getting enough of that from some of the young talent. But that's up to the trainers and it's up to Tony Khan to be able to look at that. Because I just don't think that this talent should just be learning on the fly. All this independent talent that used to wrestle every weekend is now wrestling maybe once, maybe twice a week, mostly once a week, and that's on Wednesdays if they get on the card on AEW Dark or on Dynamite. And so they're not getting enough reps to learn. But say there was a facility that AEW in in which these wrestlers can be able to work out and work on their promos and work on their skill set. What if that that was going to happen? That's something that has to happen because the inexperience really shines in this company. And I want to make sure it's very clear. You're going to make mistakes as a company when you are so young. You're going to make mistakes, there's no doubt, uh, because the company's not even a year old yet. So I just believe that that's something that has to happen for this company moving forward. You have got to be able to get the inexperienced guys up to snuff. They'll never have the experience of Cody Rhodes or Omega or Chris Jericho or Phoenix and Pentagon overnight, but you can get them on the right track. And that's the thing. Uh, It's almost like you see two or three different companies all in one when you see the type of talent that's in the ring. You see an excellent match with veterans that know how to slow down and be able to tell a story and have high-flying moves at the same time. And then sometimes you see two wrestlers that have not had TV experience missing a lot of shots, missing a lot of moves, uh, where, where the finish is a little clumsy. 
You get that NXT too, by the way. I'm not, I'm not just disparaging AEW, but you've got to be able to get that buttoned up. You're on TNT, national TV. That's not the place to learn. House shows or in a facility where you learn, that's how you're able to get better. Inexperience is a dislike I have for this company. The other thing is, is about um, the direction and creative at times, not the entire show. Um, I, I just think that you have to be able to explain your stories better. And the number one pet peeve I have with AEW is this whole Dark Order thing. Because if you have a blank sheet of paper and you're laying out week after week after week after week what you're going to do, the Dark Order just started off just as a tag team. They just started off. And they were seemed like a preliminary tag team. They didn't seem very special. Then all of a sudden, in midstream, okay, so now you can join the Dark Order. You can go to this website, and now we're going to have vignettes in the middle. It should start at the beginning. See, that's, that's the thing that is um, an issue for me is that how can I buy in when I saw you lose so often? So now it's joined the Dark Order, and, and it's still not quite over and I don't know if this is a Kenny Omega thing. I don't know who's trying to push this, but it's just not over. And there's moans and groans in the crowd. I know I have seen them in person twice, and it, it's there's no real reaction when they come out outside of groans, the indifference, and you don't want that. You'd rather have booze or cheers, but you have indifference and just like the shrugging of the shoulders and the the scratching of the head of like, who are these guys? That's a problem. That, that's a problem. So the direction and the creative, because there are so many different styles, there is a, there's a different style between Frankie Kazarian and Jimmy Havoc. There's a different style between, you know, MJF and Michael Nakazawa. It's a different style between someone like Sammy Guevara and even Sean Spears. But the thing is, is that it all has to be able to make sense under one brand. It's okay to have different styles, but it all has to be able to work together. And there's where it is where it's a, all these cold matches that you see from time to time in AEW where they've only wrestled once a week and now it's supposed to all come together. It's, it's tough. It is really, really tough. Um, the same thing with the Butcher and the Blade. When I talk about the whole evil Uno and the Dark Order, Butcher and the Blade, you know, even five or ten years ago, you put the Butcher and the Blade in with two jabronis and build them up, build them up into a dangerous tag team. I like that tag team visually, the Bunny, the Butcher and the Blade. I like that as a, as a trio, but you got to make them dangerous. You got to make them like the Butcher seems like a guy that... It, like he would have got over in the 70s, he would have got over in the 80s, 90s, just as a character. He's the butcher. He looks like one. The blade with the with the mask, they look badass. And with the bunny, that, that just gives you something to look at. And she's also um, very physical as well. I love that. I like the the visual of that. But you had them lose immediately. You have them being bumped all over the place immediately. Those guys should be tag team champions if you do it right. Those those two, the butcher and the blade. I like the name, but it's you can't come across indie. It has to be able to be something like we like these two. We'll build them up. You know, I I still believe even in today's wrestling, and you see it from time to time on even Monday Night Raw. It's okay to have preliminary matches to try to make someone look strong. I'm okay with that. It's not old school. It's not old school. This is not the Monday Night Wars where you had to have main event match against main event match. So you got to put your best against your best to try to win the ratings war. It's a different time in 2020 where the loyalties of wrestling and sports and movies and television shows, it's all split up now. And it's everything's on demand. So it's not one of these things where it's live, live. And so you got to put your best match out there and you got to put the strap on Goldberg for Monday Nitro against Monday Night Raw, you got to put the strap on Mick Foley because it's a ratings war. You don't have to do that now. It's not necessary. You don't have to do that. What you do is is, is that you tell your story if you're AEW. That's, that goes back to my first point about my dislike. Are you trying to win Wednesday so you can say you beat Triple H? Or are you trying to develop talent? That That's the thing. You develop the Butcher and the Blade. You develop that women's division. 
you you, de- you develop Ortiz um, as far as that inner circle. You develop a Sammy Guevara. Let let these guys win some matches. So now you know what they what they do. What is their finish? What are the what are the finishes of these guys when you see them out there? For some, you don't even know. So that that's the thing. You know, you know they're trying to develop Joey Janela as more than just a stunt man. They want him to be a guy. And to me, his ceiling is like Stevie Richards. I think that's that's fair. I think that's okay. And I'm glad they're trying to develop something out of Joey Janela. You've got these young guys. You've got to be able to develop them. But it's got to be with vignettes. It's got to be with showing that they can beat someone or a few people before you put them in these big events. That's all I'm saying. And that's, again, you're trying to win the, the night or you're trying to develop. And here's, by the way, where NXT eventually could catch up to AEW. You notice how NXT is just kind of treading water. Their last show it was good, but it wasn't great. It was just fine. But you see some of these wrestling matches like in the middle of the card, and they're just developing. They're telling stories, for sure, for their tentpole events like their uh, takeover shows. Or when they are attached to the WWE shows. But you can still still tell every week you're starting to see some of this talent just developing, getting better in the ring, getting better, moving forward. And so once you are able to establish who these these young wrestlers are in NXT, okay, so now they're ready for prime time. Then now they're ready to be in major storylines with NXT. AEW's got to do the same thing. They have to be able to establish who these young people are. The direction and the creative is an issue in this company. Uh, but not all, the, not 100%, but some of it just got to get better. And, and again, that's part of the inexperience of this company. Don't get me wrong. But it's just, if we're talking about this on February 11th, 2021, if it's still an issue with creative and direction, and you don't have vignettes, and you're just throwing people in the ring just to try to win the night, that's going to be a problem. It's it's okay now, but in 2021, in February, if this is still a problem, it's not going to last long, no matter how long that contract is with Turner. Let's see. Um, the third thing that I have a dislike with is the broadcast, is the broadcasters. Um, so no matter what you will put out there on television, if you're a network, no matter how flashy the action is, no matter how colorful it is, doesn't matter if the if it's a full house in the arena or not, doesn't matter if you have a, a six-star match in the ring or not, the presentation matters when it comes to the broadcast. It matters. And as much as I enjoy Jim Ross, as much as I love Tony Schiavone, Tony Schiavone is one of my biggest influences in broadcasting. From his time with the NWA, he was just so buttoned up, so professional, and so straightforward. Some of my play-by-play is reminiscent of him as a broadcaster. Uh, when I'm doing play-by-play for basketball or baseball for the UIC Flames, it's got a very similar. Um, but it, it just, to me, this broadcast should be focusing on telling stories, background, and what's going on in the ring. There's just too much... Gaga for me as a viewer. I mean, I, you're in Huntsville. We're going to be at uh, Conrad's. Nobody know who Conrad is. I mean, I know who Conrad is, and you may know who Conrad Thompson is. But what about the person in Montana that doesn't listen to Conrad Thompson uh, hosted podcast? What if you don't know who, who Conrad Thompson is? Well, Jim Ross is just dropping his name. We're going to be at Conrad's. Okay. I mean, it, it, to me, the broadcast should be this. I think that JR and Tony should work together with a rotating third uh, commentator that can tell you about what's going on in today's storylines, what's going on right now to give you background. Here's what I mean. Every time that you see either Chris Jericho or MJF as of late be a third person in the booth just as a guest commentator, I find it interesting that they provide more color than the three broadcasters that we hear every Wednesday on Dynamite. That's a problem. Did you pick up on MJF a couple weeks ago talking about the background of the Butcher and the Blade? Talking about the how one of them was, uh, or both of them were from Les Thatcher School from back in the day. Les Thatcher's a great wrestler from the, the past, had his own school in Ohio. Um, 
Chris Jericho giving a background of some wrestlers when he's is done color and and does a great job with that. He's not even a color analyst, but he can talk and he can explain things. It's the it's the job of the broadcaster to not just go out there and have a good time and induce do grab ass broadcasting or making fun of the the broadcast or shitting on the broadcast that's not that's not exactly what is supposed to happen what's supposed to happen is is that every time that you see Jimmy Havoc come to the ring you have to explain what his deal is why is he dark why does why does he wrestle the way he does where is he from what's his background what championships has he won uh, when you see even the Young Bucks, who you and I both know who the Young Bucks are, you know wh- what were their accomplishments in Japan? What makes them so popular amongst the crowd on the on the internet and on TNT? What's the story about Jungle Boy? What's 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 his story? Why is he a wrestler? Uh, and what about his dad? Tell me more about his dad and talk about his influence of being in professional wrestling. What is the story? Really, when you really dig into trying to figure out what is Angelico and uh, Chuck Taylor, who who are these guys? Yeah, you have to explain this and give that background because if Tony and Jr. were in WWE, they'd have to do it because it'd be in their notes and they'd have to do it. And whether or not they think that that was bad or it was oppressive or whatever that it was their job. And that's the one thing that I can give Vince McMahon credit for, amongst a lot of other things, is that he had his finger on the pulse of the broadcast. Dude, this is the background of this wrestler. Tell people why this person's special. Instead of just saying, here's Mr. Fun Size Marco Stunt and laughing at him. Why is he out there? Orange or Freshly Squeezed Orange Cassidy is the character, but you have to explain, you know, why is he so indifferent? Someone's got to explain that. He just he just comes out there and you just, you just kind of just stare at him. Well, we're all staring at him on TV, but what, where did he come from? Where did he wrestle before this? How did he get to AEW? You got to explain Adam Page. He's more than just a beer drinker. We know the storyline he's in right now because it looks like he's going to turn heel any moment now uh, against Kenny Omega and the rest of the elite. But you got to explain the background of Adam Page. You got to explain more about Christopher Daniels. I mean, those are the things that you do as a broadcaster. You just don't sit up there, well, here's another match, and these guys aren't uh, putting each other over, and this is Bowling Shoe Ugly, and Tony just being quiet during the broadcast. That doesn't work. So, an Excalibur, of course. I mean, Excalibur is, is a person that is doing play-by-play for a niche audience, not a national audience. If you've been watching wrestling for a long time, say you watched wrestling in the 90s, there's so many people that I come across that watch wrestling when Hogan was hot or when the Ultimate Warrior was hot or when Bret Hart was champion and they tuned out because they grew up, they had kids, they grew out of wrestling, but then they see it on TNT and they tune in. Well, when Excalibur is giving all of these um, references to moves that you they would say in Mexico or moves they would say in Japan, you're only talking to a niche audience. You know, the collar and elbow tie-up is still a collar and elbow tie-up. When someone dives through the ropes, it's a dive through the ropes. It's it, You can call it you know, tope suicida. It's a suicide dive. And if you think suicide is a little bit too rough for today's audience, then it's a dive through the ropes. But, I mean, it's to me, all these different terms... Um, no wrestling announcer for the future, like the future broadcasters, will not be using those those terms. Those terms are just for a niche audience. When you're talking to a national audience, it's it's almost inside some of the stuff that he's talking about. And yeah, are those names credible? Yeah, I think they are, but they're not for a national audience though. For that, for the the gyms in which he called uh, broadcast in front of a thousand people on a VHS tape or a DVD, I guess that's cool to to use those that terminology. But there's terms that will live forever in professional wrestling from the seventies, eighties, nineties, all the way to today, where you don't need to change the name. It's just what it is. <laughs> like you know, all these different terms, this stuff, they they don't resonate. At least not with me as a professional wrestling fan. He's doing too much as a broadcaster. He doesn't have the chops to be able to have 
the to tell stories more so than calling play by play on TV like he's on radio. He doesn't have it yet. So he should be doing play by play with Taz on dark every single week. And that should be the end of his night. That's what it should be because if I'm producing him, I'm like, okay, now Excalibur, you got to tell me the story. Why is this match taking place? Just don't go through the entire night going through play-by-play and never explain who these characters are. Tell the story of who they are first. Give us a few calls on some of the high spots, but you and Taz have the conversation. I'm not trying to turn the broadcast into WWE broadcast where they don't call the moves. It's okay to call the moves, but not all of them because at some point you got to come up for air and tell the story of why these two are important and what the story is of this match. Even if it's cold, explain it. And sell me tickets and tell me that this is the kind of action that you'll see when I when AEW comes to your area. All that stuff. You have to tell that story because the TV or when I'm watching on YouTube, it already tells a story. I'm, I'm seeing the moves. You don't have to call it. I'm, I'm not blind. Okay? It's not on radio. So Excalibur is just he's inexperienced. I can put him in the inexperienced box with all the uh, some of the other young wrestlers on this com- in this company. But Jr. and Tony, led by Tony, by the way, Tony should be once again the play-by-play guy because I know he can do it because I saw him in MLW working with Rich McKinney. and Tony can tell a story. Jr. could be there right there next to him doing color, and Jr. could be a lot better too. I'm I'm a Jr. fan. We are friends. But even JR can be able to step up even more so as a broadcaster. Leave that other shit behind and just try. He knows, he knows, and Tony knows that they both have to tell the story of, of the, in the background of these guys. And if you don't know the background of these guys and these women that's in this company, shame on them. Shame on them. If they don't have a, a binder with the, the with bullet pointed with who these wrestlers are, and why they're important for this match or this company, then shame on them. If they're just calling cold matches and just calling what they see and not telling the story, then that's that's not good. Jim knows that too. And Tony knows that. But if you're just taking it for granted and, you know, as as Britt Baker was talking about, you know, you're just messing up our names and all that stuff. And then Jim is uh, getting upset about it and he's lashing out on Twitter because people are saying, hey, you're messing up the names of my favorite wrestlers. Hey, I mean... In some ways, some of the fans have a a point. They don't have to be mean about it, but they have a point. Hey, man, these are the wrestlers in front of you. Invest. Invest. I make mistakes too as a broadcaster, plenty of them. But he's on national television, Jim is, and so is Tony, and they know how to do it. They just have to lock in and focus. But I think that if JR and Tony worked with a rotating color analyst, that can really give you insight in that locker room. That's good. A for a wrestler that's currently on the on the card, um, then I think that would help. Okay. And by the way, just a quick thought about the women's division. You know that falls in the same line of the inexperience. Big Swole has not shown me anything while she's been in AEW. Um, Emmy Sakura is out there, and she's a veteran and. I have no problem with her. Britt Baker is now a heel, so I want to see more from her. Looks like Brandy Rhodes has dropped the Nightmare Collective bit. I mean, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I saw Sheeta out there, uh, Akura Sheeta. There's, I mean, there's some, some decent talent here, but the women that impressed me the most on this roster uh, that I've seen is Shanna is Penelope Ford for obvious for obvious reasons. Look at her. I mean, she's the bad girl. I think she could do a, a lot more. If, maybe not as a wrestler. Maybe as that second to uh, super bad. Uh, but obviously, you look at her. She's she's pretty impressive. Nyla Rose is great. The money is Nyla Rose versus Awesome Kong. That's the money match. That's I mean, that's what you want to see. You want to see what that looks like. Um, but you know, outside of Britt Baker. And Brandy Rhodes, because she's got the chops uh, on the mic. Awesome Kong has proven that she can get it done. I'm a big fan of, of Chris Statlander. Um, Nala Rose, Shanna. I don't, you know, nothing outside of that, nothing really impresses me uh, from this women's division. They can do better. They can do better. And the company could do better. But it's young. As I mentioned, if I'm having these same complaints uh, in February 2021, that's not going to be great. 
So those are my three likes and dislikes for all elite wrestling. Again, I did the same thing for the WWE. You can go back to the archives and check it out on Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. I'd like to remind you that on February 17th, I will return to Busted Open, the six-day-a-week professional wrestling show that takes place on Sirius XM Channel 156. I will be there with Bully Ray. So I will be in for my friend Dave LaGreca. We're going to have some fun talking pro wrestling, sports entertainment with you. Hope that you could check in on February 17th. The show airs live 8 to 11 a.m. Central Time. So adjust your uh, calendar and time because I love to hear from our TWE. TWT Tribe, easy for me to say, for our um, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday listeners, I would love for you to be able to check in with me on Busted Open. If you listen to this podcast, I hope that you call into Busted Open, Sirius XM, Channel 156, as I team with Bully Ray and for my good friend Dave LaGreca. So, Eric Bischoff is no longer with the WWE, as you well know. He was overseeing SmackDown for... What, a couple months, if if that? Well, he has his own podcast. It's 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff, uh, courtesy of Westwood One. And he was doing an Ask Eric Anything episode in which fans can be able to write in and email or send tweets. And Conrad Thompson, who is the host of the show, is reading those questions to Eric Bischoff, and he's asked to answer. Well, what is the hierarchy when it comes to the WWE as far as creative? Some thoughts now from Conrad and Eric Bischoff about Eric and his brief time returning to the WWE. Well, here's one to get us started. Joseph writes in, can you go into detail about what your job was with WWE this last time around? It's been reported that Paul Heyman oversees all creative and other aspects of the show, but you have stated that you had no creative control for SmackDown. Hashtag Ask Eric. Yeah, look, um, this is uh, treacherous waters upon which we are about to embark. So I'm going to be a little careful about that. And I hope everybody can understand. You know, there's number one, I, I have nothing but respect for everybody in WWE. Everybody that I worked with, some a lot more than others, and only I, I say that only because I had more. I, I interfaced with some people a lot more than others, and I had the ability to really uh, to see what they were capable of and where their talents were, and and how hard they worked. So when I say I, you know, ha- have more respect for some than others, it's just because I didn't get a chance to work with everybody there. But overall. You know, my my respect for WWE is pretty high from Vince McMahon on down. That doesn't mean that it was a great fit. That doesn't mean that the chemistry was right. That doesn't mean that the communication was right. There's a lot of just fundamentally human things that could have been much, much better, I think, for everybody, for them, certainly for them, for Vince McMahon, certainly, who made the call to let me go. Um, I'm certain he was disappointed that it didn't work out. I I know that for a fact. But, um, look, I'm I'm not, I can't, it's not that I'm not, it's just that I I can't really go into specifics on this as much as I would like to, and uh, it would probably clear up a lot of misconceptions, but let me make one thing clear, and I I can say this because this is public knowledge. What I'm about to say is not inside information. It's not me violating any trust, uh, contractual or otherwise. There's one guy who has creative control. It's not Paul Heyman. I hate to break your bubble, and and I love Paul. By the way, I have Conrad. You and I talked about Paul a little bit when I when I visited you last week, and you know I I, I shared with you how you know highly I regard Paul's creative abilities and things like that. So this is not a meant to be any kind of a, a half-assed attempt to take a shot or anything like that. But Paul Heyman doesn't have creative control. And anybody who thinks he does is kidding themselves. I know Paul doesn't, um, and neither does anybody else. One guy has creative control, and we all know who that is. So when I said, you know, while I was there, I had, I didn't have creative control, I was being honest. I didn't. 
because one man did. Paul Heyman doesn't. Eric Bischoff didn't. Nobody who follows in in either my footsteps, including Bruce Pritchard, uh, or and you know how much I love Bruce, uh, or or Paul Heyman, have creative control. So you, people use that term, you know, a phrase, creative control, very very loosely and very broadly, and they don't really know what. They don't really have context, let's put it that way, as it relates to what goes on in WWE. In terms of my job, it was the same job as Paul Heyman's. Um, again, I, I think this is pretty much public knowledge. I'm not giving away too much here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be general, intentionally general, so as not to violate any just personal trust or, or contractual obligations. But uh, essentially, both Paul and I over... I, I'll, I'll, say, I'll speak to, for myself. I oversaw uh, just about everything that touched the SmackDown product, um, including creative. I oversaw the creative team in terms of managing it, in terms of staffing it, in terms of making sure things got done when it needed to get done and presented to the one person who did have creative control. Um, as well as a lot of the things that are, you know, kind of the business to business side of, of wrestling, you know, licensing and merchandising and PR and all of anything that had anything to do with SmackDown, uh, I, I was directly involved in. So it was a very, as I said, you know, it was a very big, very broad job, broad meaning that it wasn't just focused on the creative. Certainly that was a big part of it. Don't, don't. Let me um, confuse anybody here by minimizing it, but uh, there were also a lot of other aspects of it that were equally as important. Thoughts there from Eric Bischoff, so that confirms it. I think we already knew that <laughs> Vince is the only guy with creative control. Speaking of Vince McMahon, the WWE will have WrestleMania 37... Come to Los Angeles. They will have, once again, a Hollywood theme. So from the SoFi, the Sofi Stadium in Hollywood Park in Inglewood, California, uh, it'll take place on March 28, 2021. So WrestleMania next year will be in Los Angeles. Los Angeles area, Inglewood, California. As been customary for years, the WWE will be taking over the Los Angeles area for most of WrestleMania. A number of events will be held at the Staples Center as well. WWE Hall of Fame will be on March 25th, Hall of Fame 2021 class. The March 26th uh, show will be at the Staples Center for Friday Night SmackDown. March 27th, NXT TakeOver. March 29th is Monday Night Raw. So it's interesting at Sophie Stadium, uh, WrestleMania will take place in Los Angeles. This makes up, by the way, for the WWE and their inability to have a show at the old Coliseum in Los Angeles. They were trying to get that done and have over 90,000 people or more at the Coliseum where the USC Trojans play, but they could not do that because of the Gulf War. You remember Slaughter versus Hogan. That was supposed to be the spot for uh, that particular WrestleMania, but because of the Gulf War and wondering if there was going to be an issue there with um, crowd safety, they moved it to the sports arena, if I'm not mistaken, that particular year. Uh, but it was a much smaller venue inside. It was not outside. So now Vince gets his way. He's able to have an outside stadium for um, this WrestleMania next year at Sophie Stadium in Los Angeles. So that's cool. Um, that, that should be a lot of fun, and that should bring a lot of revenue to uh, the L.A. area. They got uh, they got some, I think the WrestleMania Access, it says, is going to be at the Los Angeles Convention Center. So that's good, too. That's really cool. So WrestleMania next year, Los Angeles. Get your tickets now. <laughs> yeah, Do it now. Make sure you get your hotels and everything, because uh, that sounds like a fun time being around the Los Angeles area. More on the WWE. If you go into our archives of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, you can hear the entire conference call uh, that took place with Vince McMahon and the higher-ups in the WWE because they had their investor call last Thursday. It's in its entirety on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. You can hear it for yourself. You can hear Vince speaking in that investor's call because of what we've documented before, this whole issue with 
Vince McMahon firing two of his co-presidents so close to WrestleMania, it just made the stock do a nosedive. I think 25% loss uh, as far as the stocks are concerned. That's a ton of money. I, I read somewhere over $200 million lost just from Vince doing that move because those that are looking at the WWE, that's invested in the WWE, are wondering, okay, so if you fire two people that understand Wall Street and what's going on financially, who's going to be under Vince McMahon? Because obviously Wall Street, does, I believe that Vince himself can be able to hold this thing up. So that's why the stock dropped. Uh, and there has not been a replacement yet for those two that were fired, uh, Michelle and George, that were in the front office uh, over 10 plus years of the WWE. So it, it's not Triple H and Stephanie, if you're wondering. That's not going to work. It's not going to be Triple H and Stephanie taking the um, the, the co-president's um, spots because Wall Street wants someone that is financially stable, that understands the business of Wall Street. So it won't be those two. Um, some thoughts now from uh, Brian Alvarez from the Wrestling Observer about the WWE Network before I hit this. So in the investor call, which I heard, Vince McMahon in some ways made it seem like that the tentpole events for the WWE whether that is WrestleMania or the Royal Rumble or Survivor Series, you know, all the, the major events for the WWE may not be on the WWE network. They might be on a different platform, you know, like ESPN Plus or DAZN or the new Peacock network is coming out for NBC. Who knows? But it's interesting that the WWE network that's been around for quite a while now They've done a lot of crazy things to try to get people to sign up, and the subscriptions are not where they think it should be. Think about it. If you're someone that's a sports fan like I am, right, you only have limited income to be able to say, okay, I'm going to invest in the CBS app or, or the Fight TV app or the UFC Fight Pass or you know New Japan or, or whatever, right? The uh, zone to see my UFC or my boxing. I mean, you just can't have an iPad filled with like a million different apps to try to figure out where, you know, what, what event is where. You're going to lock in on one or two, maybe. I, at least that's what I think. And so the WWE Network, they've tried everything from going from $9.99 to having free WrestleManias for people to sign up, and it has not worked. It has not worked where you could say it's a huge success. It's a success for sure, but they are underwhelmed by the numbers, and that might be one of the reasons why that Vince made this move because they've had their biggest event, WrestleMania, out there for free, and still people are not signing up for it. And then, of course, me being an old school fan, they take away they took away like one of my favorite sections, the old school section of the wrestling that they had on there. I'm not happy about that. I don't. What happened to the vault? The vault had some great stuff that was um, behind the scenes that you never saw before. Yeah, I'm not happy they took that away. So, as I mentioned, Brian Alvarez talks about big changes happening in WWE Network. So, here's the thing. If there is no big tentpole events for the WWE of the network, then I'll, what's the use of the network? Documentaries? Uh, some old school stuff on there? Old Raws and Smackdowns? Hmm. So... Is Vince going to blow up his own creation because of lack of subscribers? Thursday's investors conference call, Vince McMahon said the company has had advanced talks with major OTT players about changes to the WWE network that could mean a significant revenue increase for the company. McMahon called the potential deals, quote, transformative. Those changes could be content rights with marquee events like WrestleMania and the Royal Rumble or perhaps a different distribution model for the WWE Network altogether. McMahon said if a change is made, it will be announced this quarter as the talks are that far along. When asked about the plans for the network, McMahon said they have a lot of options. One is to remain as they are now with a free and paid tier, uh, tier while the other is to distribute more content to the majors he later clarified the majors as OTT companies. There's no better time as of right now to exercise a right or the selling of our rights, he said. In a follow-up answer, interim CFO Frank Riddick said that while the devil is in the details, there is nothing that would stop them from selling those rights if they chose to. 
McMahon was asked about whether they would consider selling advertising and adding advertising to the network. He said they would be interested if they kept the model as is. As of last quarter, the network had 1.43 million subscribers, a 10% drop from the previous quarter, 184.6 million in yearly revenue, down 15 million from 2018. The company predicted a modest increase for quarter one, 1.47 million. WWE signed two massive five-year TV deals with Fox, NBC Universal, giving the company 2.35 billion from 2019 to 2024. So, bunch of things right here. So, first off, the WWE Network being down 10% from the previous quarter, down 15 million from 2018. This is very concerning to me. If you look at all of the other streaming services around the world, the major streaming services, can you find me another one that's down that much? I mean, I'm sure they're out there, but that's that's a pretty significant drop. The other concern is they're at 1.43 million right now, and they're expecting 1.47 million at the end of this quarter. Do you realize what this quarter is? This is the WrestleMania quarter. This is the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania quarter. I mean, I can tell you for a fact, having done this for 15 years now, that this is by far the biggest growth period in all year the the royal rumble to wrestlemania quarter that is the biggest growth quarter they're expecting virtually no growth whatsoever for this quarter that's a pretty scary stat so the talk about distributing more content to quote the majors I did hear speculation a couple of days ago. This is not something to report as news or anything like that. But somebody in WWE, they did text and they said, have you heard anything about WWE possibly talking to Fox about WrestleMania? I had not. And I haven't really heard that from anybody else either. But that was obviously some speculation that maybe WWE could try to sell WrestleMania to Fox. It would air for free on Fox, like a Super Bowl. It would not be on the WWE Network, and they would take the rights fees to sell WrestleMania to Fox. Now, if you look at the if you look at the WWE Network model right here, I mean the answer is right here. I mean, there was somebody on the on the conference call that said something like, "Why would you be doing any negotiations with these traditional uh, mediums like like television?" It's like, dude. Do you know why this company had the biggest revenue quarter they've ever had in all of history? It's not because of YouTube. It's not because of the WWE Network. It's not because of social media. It's because they signed massive television deals. The WWE Network, if they're expecting during the WrestleMania quarter to go from 1.43 million to 1.47 million, practically nothing... That change there is the revenue they will derive from WrestleMania. Thoughts there from uh, Brian Alvarez from Wrestling Observer Live. You can check that out on YouTube. But, of course, subscribe to the Wrestling Observer, and you can get the entire audio selection from the Wrestling Observer. Some interesting thoughts. Could you imagine WrestleMania on Fox? (laughs) I don't know if Fox is going to air all seven or eight hours of WrestleMania, but they'd have to chop it down to a good maybe three hours, four hours. But money's money. WrestleMania on Fox would be pretty tremendous. And to say, okay, here's WrestleMania, our biggest event. Now, how about Survivor Series? How about Royal Rumble, right? How about SummerSlam? (laughs) Like, I think anything is up for bid right now because of the lack of subscribers on the WWE Network. I think it makes sense. It makes sense. If you can't get subscribers and people to be able to lock into the WWE Network, then it's like, screw it. Here are our major events. We're going to sell them to the highest bidder, and we're going to make more money. That's what it comes down to. But it would be really freaky to see WrestleMania, a show that you and I have paid a lot for over the years, like in one day for pay-per-view, they w- they were able to make $60, 70000000 million on, you know, the dying W, you know, the dying pay-per-view brand, the, the, the whole thing of a pay-per-view. It's not dying. It's not dying. 
But it's funny in that same investor call that Brian talked about, people were like, oh, would you rather, would you go to television? Yeah, because TV still matters. (laughs) Here's the Super Bowl. Here's the World Series. You know, here's the college football national championship. Television still matters. It's just an interesting time in wrestling. Vince is going to be able to win this thing and might blow up his own invention of the WWE Network because there are not enough subscribers to the network. Oh, I don't know. It's crazy. Well, as we always do, we give you wrestling twice a week. I'll talk to my guy, Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. Later on this week, we'll review AEW, NXT, and some of the other storylines around professional wrestling. Don't forget to follow on Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT. Thanks so much for listening. And tell somebody, Jonathan Hood is talking wrestling. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday, twice a week, right here. On Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. Oh, by the way. Nick Aldis, Marty Skrull, NWA Power. If you haven't been watching NWA Power on YouTube, check it out. It is some of the best wrestling storylines that are out there. I know there was one more thing on my yellow pad. Okay, I'm done now. Thanks for listening.